at midnight on the 31st of March, Chapter 2, Section 1. October 1st now brought them half a year completed in this world that was so new and so tarnation old. They were the same, men and boys and girls and wives and maids, as on that midnight in the spring of fate, the same as on the day before that night that saw the last strange wheels go down their road. But in each heart burned now a stronger fire that flamed because of darkness round about and burned the brighter for the winds that blew. United by the implacable forest wall that hung behind the cultivated hills, united more by fear and need of strength, they knew each other as they never had, and bonds that irked were still dependable. The horror of catastrophe had gone as even horror must into pastime. The sense of doom was there, but buried deep in hearts that mostly only longed to live and looked to find the means through all the days. Their eyes looked now to winter and the snow, the test to search them out if they were strong. They knew the answer if their strength should fail. But one there was whom thought of winter shook more coldly than the rest, who moaned at night and turned and turned and waited for the light and watched sunrise wished for night again, thinking of snow and bitter days alone. Though all his days were lonely, it was worse to know you could not travel if you wished. So Dick Van Snell met fall with shaking lips, and if he slept, woke always with a cry, hearing again upon the road his wheels. Seeing the man come slowly to the store, bringing the jug of cider which he used to trade for food, hard cider too as good as any washed a gullet yet. And Dick had found his ample store more good than if his barrels full went down his throat. This jug the next to last, and then what then? Seeing him come so slowly, and his face all loose with loneliness and grief, Earl said, Now, Dick, here's something I've been thinking of. The winter's coming, and I need a man to help split wood and other chores about. Come cold, why don't you come and live with us? I'll feed and lodge you for the work you do. He knew Earl meant it kindly, but he said, I guess I'll stick down by my place a while. It's lonely there. It's lonely there, most a mile beyond the heavens place. You'd better come up here. There's room enough and food and company. Oh, no, I'll, I'll stay at home. I like it there. He took his little load and headed home, thinking with fierce distaste of any house where he might live except his own. His own. The Bacchus farm was set back on the hill. You could not see the road, a little road that even in, the, in other days had few to pass. The trees were all around it like a wall. If he must live, and life was hardly worth the trouble that it took to eat, to breathe, he would be here upon the road, his road. And if by some unapprehended chance this better, bitter state of things should cease to be, there he would wait to hear the wheels again to watch the world come rolling by his door. His house was dark. He lit a candle end, threw wood upon the fire, and ate some meat left over from his hunt of yesterday. The silence burned his ears. He looked about and counted all he saw his own. And yet, now to what end should he stay here, alone, and wall himself within his house, alone, and there await a world now gone, alone? The jug of cider on the corner shelf seemed to provide an answer, or at least some solace if no answer could be found. 
Regardless of its worth and rarity, he drew the plug and set to work to drink. Seeking the last of summer and its sun that was not now so burning bright as trees turned riotous and ruddy with the cold, John Herbert and his Gertrude went to walk, he with his gun against the chance of meat, she with a line and hook for other food. Below the heavens place, before the gulf enclosed in shadow, both the brook and road the saugers widened to a quiet pool. Hung, out, hung over by a rock, a fish's haven, and Gertrude was the one to catch them out. But John was restless, and his feet were loud in leaves upon the bank. She scolded him, and he grew sultry, for his heart was tried and bitter with his unresolved desire. At last they quarreled, and the words were hot and glimmered in the pale descending sun, and hurt them both, and festered in the blood. Until in rage he took her by the arms and shook her hard, and she came close and fought. So then at last they clasped each other tight, and anger seemed to do what love could not, hot as they were and burnt beyond control. A part of him that was not so stood out and watched and hated him and said, You fool, the while his hands were busy at her breast. And she as well could not be wholly mad, but said deep in her mind, I've got him now, we'll have to marry if we like or not. He pulled her down upon the ground. The leaves of willows dropped about them, and the creek made unregenerate noises in its bed. The road was fifty yards away, as still as that old Indian trail that used to run among the ancient hemlocks on the bank. Even the wind was still. And then a sound, a shattering shot broke out, and slammed their ears and wrenched their minds and made them both jump up, leaving with some regret and some relief their purpose and desire behind them with the impress of their bodies in the grass. "'Who would be hunting here?' said John aloud. "'So near to Dick Van Snell's. His house is there beyond the curve. We'd better go and see.' They reached the road, but had not far to go to see if upon its surface what replied to all their questions, and its own as well. For here, upon the cracking grass-grown road, and at the curve where trucks were used to blow their horns to warn him of their passing by, and where the lights at night struck on his house, here where no one could stand in other days for fear of sudden death around the curve, here Dick Van Snell had ended his own life, seeing no reason not to leave a world which had already left him taking away all that he cared for, all his life for him. Earl Bacchus thought I should have made him come. This was my fault, or partly. Well, I tried. He had not much to live for, true enough. He stood a moment by the empty grave that would be filled so soon. It was the first in Saugersville since fate had marked them out. The ground was not yet frozen, and the smell of earth rose up and smote him like a blow. He sighed and looked to where the hills rolled back in ridges to the distant sky, first showing in their colors, then afar one blank and uncommunicative blue. He said aloud, Now, Dick, twas easy done. You had no chick nor child to think upon, nor any cared if you were quick or dead. Not many men are free to do their will. He thought of Mate, his wife, their crippled girl, and even of the town that looked to him for guiding where there were few hands to guide. The weariness of living in despair, the fear of doom that waited in his heart and knew no date for fear to fasten on, the weight of strength this small embattled group required of him and found in him each day. These bore him down, and for this moment here he thought of Dick and thought he had done well. The wild geese cried above him in the sun, the geese that flew as certain of their goal as though no world of men had been wiped out. No doubt they thought it for their good alone that lakes were free and men and guns were few. 
and with that stirring cry Earl turned again and saw below the hillside plot of graves the village visible through thinning leaves, a compact shining group of white and gray below the V of birds that passed so high. A fierce convulsion tightened up his chest. He clenched his hands and dug his heels in earth. This is our place, by life and death and work. We've lost one man. We must be strong to live and fight this enemy we cannot see, our weakness and our loneliness and fear. We must be strong, or we will all lie here.